Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. You're listening to the Monsters of Talk. I'm here with my co-host. Hello, I am Jim Short. Jim, we're still in Kansas City. We're here with our old friend, John Fugelsang. I can't believe I'm finally doing this podcast. <laughs> it's finally happened. I am so excited, and it's getting increasingly difficult to hide it. I gotta say, uh-huh. it's, it's mm-hmm. so exciting. Um, well, we um, this is we the are closest big fans I'm ever going to get to being backstage at a Wilco show is doing your podcast. I don't know. By, you could, yeah, we have us, laminates, by, like, so you can come back with us. We had laminates. We, uh. We just annoy, we just annoyed Wilco so much. Not annoyed, but we just no. They 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 love us. We we really we have good backstage etiquette. Yes. And we 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 really ingratiators ourselves <laughs> uh, to, to them on and that's on this whole tour. But um, we you know we have very similar taste in music, John. Yes, all well, of I, us. I ran into you guys at the big Wilco Dylan extravaganza with Beck last summer. So that was fun. A lot of fun. Jones it, Beach was yeah, that Jones Beach? That was Jones yeah, Beach. Jones Beach. I had not been there before. Now that's a weird venue because. Um, no alcohol, yeah. um, and um, so uh, and the show is very. But you think that, that it's good that they don't have alcohol because the potential for violence is pretty, pretty high. Pretty high. It's Long Island. It's where I come from in the heart of the Guido Belt. And uh, <laughs> but on a plus side, uh, it's incredibly inconvenient to get to. So there's that on top of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're way out in. Wanta. Yeah, it's quite a way out there, isn't it? Yes, you can take a train to a cab to a bus and then walk a mile and you can get there. So it's <laughs> terrific. But we, we, it was worth it because that was the show. Um, it was Beck. Was it Sean Lennon on that one? Yeah, and yeah. Chibamato. Chibamato. Uh, yep, yeah, our f- old friends too, who are great. And um, yeah, that, that was exciting to see Sean. He's wonderful. Sean came out and with Wilco did Your Blues. Your Blues. To see him do one of his dad's songs, first off, it was like emotional. Like it was almost like a teared up, tearing moment. But it was so rocking and amazing yeah. that it was cool. just it was just so fantastic. He nailed it. And then, you know what? He sang that before. They had a reunion of the Plastic Ono Band with yeah, Clapton huh? in Brooklyn a couple years oh, back. Wow. Oh, really? So, you, you can find it on YouTube, yeah. And Sean sang it there, but it was nothing compared to what he did. He came out and he just wailed. And, you know, Sean now is, what is he, 36 or so? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he, he really, uh, I, I was saying before, I want to see him in Donnie Harrison go on the road and do the songs of John and George. Oh, that'd be great. Fantastic. That'd be really great. This is Rock Geek Hour. Thank you. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. John and I, I met you in 98 (laughs) at Montreal. You hosted new faces that I did when when my face was a little newer than it is now. (laughs) But you and I got, we we got on the conversation and we will never get off of it, of Bob Dylan because we're big not just fans, I think the obsessive no, freak out. We're not Bob just Dylan big Bob people. Dylan fans. We're we're men who like to alienate women, and so <laughs> that, that is really what happens. Is the, the two Dylan fans will start to talk, and everybody will just and it's move girl away. repellent. It's incredible, but I gotta say, I, I I like a girl who likes a boy who likes Bob. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's it's so exciting. Um, that show we got to watch from the side. We've been getting closer and closer to watching. So now we can see him from the back playing on that little. Um, Keyboard. Yes, you see his the back of his head. But it was it <laughs> was great. Closely. But but you you're a, a big music fan and and we, now did you work at VH1 for a while? You had a yeah. stint at VH1. Well, I was there when they were trying to be like MTV for grownups for a while mm-hmm. in the late nineties, and they hired me to be their funny guy. But then I wound up being the only guy who knew anything about classic rock. So right. <laughs> they wound up sending me to London to do specials with McCartney, and I got to interview Incredible. Springsteen and Robbie Robertson and Willie Nelson and Pete Townsend and Tony Bennett, and like it wound up being like broadcaster grad school for me. It's yeah. a lot of fun. It's cool. What did, um, what was McCartney like to interview? Well, he's all business. The, the first thing he ever said to me was, uh, he came to the rehearsal and they introduced me and he just looked at me and said, you wearing that? And that was, he went, <laughs> and I was like, no. And the night before they told us, Paul doesn't want any leather, no leather shoes. Oh, I, I, get, you. Oh. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to go to Piccadilly Circus at like midnight to try and find a canvas pair of high tops to wear. But uh, he was amazing. We did this live one hour show that aired all around the world. And he was so, he, he, he's, he's such a contradiction because he can play it kind of silly for cameras and interviews yeah. sometimes, yeah. but he's a billionaire businessman who right. knows what he's about. He shows up, he checks everything. He's the Mac. And he's also incredibly fun. I, I did a show with him later in New York, and I had never partied with him before. And man, that guy. I have never met a college kid can keep up with Paul. He really? A, man knows how to have a good time. And he's wow. inc- I spent, we, we did a listening party at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York 
for the Run Devil Run record right after Linda died. And, and I, I welcomed the crowd. I brought Paul on stage. And then Paul and I had to go sit upstairs by ourselves with his makeup lady for, you know, an hour while the album played. And we just talked about, like, Canterbury Tales the whole time. I mean, he's so well-read. He's so yeah. smart. He's so informed on so many subjects. And uh, we I feel like you only get to see, like, one-tenth of his brilliance in his interviews. Mm. But the concerts are great. I saw him last spring in Brooklyn. And at 71, it was, like, probably my tenth show of his. And it he's was the still best rocking. show I've ever seen him do. Best show I've ever seen him do. Is it hard to sit there and go, I'm bloody well sitting in with the Beatle? Yeah, I was too young to really... I mean, when I met George Harrison, it was the worst interview anyone's ever done. You know, he. Oh, I don't think so. I saw that. I thought it was great. Well, he came in, and I was about to fly to London to meet McCartney, and they said, we need you to go out on the red eye, because you have to interview George Harrison and Ravi Shankar. Mm-hmm. And, and I was a George freak. Yeah. You know, the ex-Catholic yeah. thing. And, uh, I mean, I have a curiously Catholic background, and, and I was the worst interviewer of all time. You know, he was talking about... When I was young, I met Burt Lancaster in Hollywood, and I realized he was just another man, and fame's an illusion, and I shouldn't be impressed. I'm like, really, George? Tell me more about how fame's an illusion, and I shouldn't be impressed. <laughs> I was stepping on him. I was making inappropriate jokes. But he stayed for four hours. I think he liked the fact that I had no polish and that I wanted to talk about God and death and mm-hmm. meditation. He wound up staying for four hours, played four songs, and it was the last time he ever performed publicly. So wow. yeah. I, I guess my, my shoddiness as an interviewer paid off. But well, it's, le- it's a legendary interview, actually, what yes. you did, because even though you might think that, he really, there was, there was something, because I remember seeing, because he was just sitting there with, didn't he have his, like, his knitted like balaclava on or something like that? Well, and he's yeah, just, he, and he's just, it's just like old bloke sitting there talking to you. Well, but Ravi Shankar was there too. Yeah. Which made, which meant that George couldn't be sullen and moody. He was on his best <laughs> behavior the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we talked, about, and you know, I just wanted to talk about God and death and what happens when you die. And it wound up being a really interesting thing because my producer's in my ear the whole time screaming, get him to talk about the Beatles, which... George didn't like to do. So we talked about all this metaphysical stuff. He stayed for all this time. Some girl was visiting her boyfriend on the set and gave him a guitar. He did four songs. He hadn't done a concert in America since the 70s. Yeah. And it was his final public performance. Mm -hmm. And Rick Rubin showed up. Like all these luminaries were coming by as the hours went on. And we just couldn't, he was going to come for 10 minutes, give us a soundbite and leave. He stayed four hours. And they put a 30 minute version of it on the air. And no one watched it. And then when he got sick, I'll never forget, I was in Montreal again at that festival, and they asked me if I would come back to New York. I was living in L.A. at the time, and help them recut it, because they thought he was going to go soon. And I thought, yeah. well, that's ghoulish, but mm-hmm. I don't want someone else to be working on it. Yeah, yeah. So we re-recorded some raps, and when they aired it, when he died, they took all the stuff they'd cut out the first time about death and meditation and, then- and God, put it back in. Mm. And and at one point, George said, you know, this is a bit lofty to be discussing on VH1, but to this day, I'll have big, burly, straight guys walk up to me at airports and hug me because they say it was the most, like, real spiritual thing they ever saw on TV. Yeah. Not a bunch yeah, of religious beautiful. bullshit, but something that really had some, yeah. mm-hmm. some weight to it. So what, That's what, great. What, what year was that again? That was, uh, the interview was 97, and he died okay. in, 90, in, in 01. Because his last few years were kind of rough with, with that attack. Yeah. When the guy that broke into his house oh, yeah. and stabbed him. Yeah. Um, and, and his then wife the, saved his life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I met her in Hollywood a couple of years ago and she actually thanked me uh, for that interview. She, she, Martin Scorsese used some of it in his movie so I could, yes. I right. could finally say yes. I've been in a Scorsese film for two year old footage. So. And you didn't get whacked. <laughs> no. I didn't get whacked. Didn't get a check either. But, but that's pretty brilliant to, to have that on your resume that you got to be that guy. Well, that's the nice thing about it. At the time, I thought it was a curse. At the time, I thought I'm young. I meet my idol. I mean, I'd rather meet George Harrison than Dylan, you know? And and I was a complete blubbering twit. And I was humiliated for years. Oh, I went to therapy over it. I was so crushed that I met my idol and I just couldn't keep my fucking mouth shut. And then it took years later to realize, well, I'm not that same person. And I've grown, and the rawness of it is actually what he liked and what made him stick around so long. Yeah. And so sometimes what seems like humiliation when you're young, when you know, in the rearview mirror can wind up being a gateway to wisdom and can wind up showing you how far you've come, and you wind up getting a great story out of bad experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be the best thing. I think so. Do you think that's your favorite, is that your favorite or not most least favorite interview? Who's your, your favorite person that you've ever interviewed? Oh, God. I mean, I, I, I guess him. I don't know. I, I, I don't really like interviewing people, but I get asked mm-hmm. to do it a lot. And yeah. I just finished doing a PBS film for uh, 
for the past two months um, shooting on the road for this big documentary about the American dream and what happened to it. It'll be out next year. Mm -hmm. And that was in a way the best because I interviewed hundreds of people and it was mostly struggling and, and really poor Americans. And I was in a lot of homeless shelters talking to vets and families on food stamps and, and people who just can't make it. And I found those interviews where I wasn't allowed to be funny and where people usually wound up weeping uh, mm. actually were a lot more interesting than celebrity interviews who tend to be very polished and glib and have their little anecdotes. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, uh, I don't know, what about you? I mean, who's the coolest interview you guys have done together? Um, we uh, we did a great one. I listened again today to Joan Rivers. Um, oh, wow. That was really great. Um, she was just talking about how Laurence Olivier and kind of being a fag hag to all these people like Vincent Price. <laughs> So that was good. Um, we did a we did a, a couple of great ones with Billy Bragg, who is a real hero yeah. for me. Um, and just Jim. hilarious too. Oh, he's great! I saw him really play funny. with. Uh, I saw him play at the uh, Nelson Mandela show um, back oh. at Yankee Stadium many years ago. Yeah. Wow! Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's really great. But we, um, you know, we we're hoping that we we, we don't we don't we're, we're 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 working our way through Wilco. We've got through the rhythm <laughs> section. Now we're going to go all the way through the band. Nice. Do a whole bunch of uh, stuff with them. But we love talking to people in general. Yeah. Right? yeah. But you, um, and, and, and then you did a lot of, you know, stuff last year on the campaign. Oh, so yeah. So you were, you were basically in the full, you know, 2012 presidential campaign and talked to, well, you had many moments that, that are very, a very moment, uh, momentous as well, right? <laughs> yes, I, I did. I still get hate mail for, for that too. Um, I was doing a, I, I, you know, I like to do political material because I want to alienate half my potential audience. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I want to write you want to whittle it down to just a few, right? Yeah, and I want to write really sharp jokes that have a shelf life of about nine days. So that's, that's my goal. And um, so I, I wound up being asked to do Soledad O'Brien's morning show on CNN. And I was doing that every day and getting up at like 4 a.m. It was awful. And uh, I liked her a lot. But one morning, and I was like to be the funny guy mm -hmm. at six in the morning on CNN, as easy as that is. And, uh, and they had on Mitt Romney's communications director, Eric Fernstrom. And to my shock, during this interview, Soledad gave me the nod, like, you want to jump in and ask a question on this one? I'm like, mm. you're going to let me ask Mitt Romney's <laughs> right-hand guy a question? <laughs> and I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, this is back during the campaign when you had Gingrich and Santorum saying that he wasn't conservative enough. Right. And all uh -huh. the media with this rubbish, is he conservative enough? And, you know, my whole question was, isn't your guy too conservative? Haven't you fallen into a Bob Dole trap? Mm. And, and this, this, this clown with the bolts taken out of his neck, hasn't this guy played it so right-wing he's never going to make it in the general? And I dressed it up in a lot of bullshit news language and said, isn't there a concern in your team that because he's against a considerably less moderate opponent than McCain, the governor may have painted himself into a corner. It'll make it hard to reach out to independents and moderates of the general. You know, 2,500 words to say something simple. And Fernstrom right away says, oh, no, we're not worried about that. You get to the general election. It's like a reset button. It's like you shake an etch a sketch. <laughs> and my jaw dropped. I thought, oh my God, you admitted it. Yeah. You admitted that your guy is like the hollow inflatable man outside mm -hmm. a car yeah. dealership mm -hmm. just flapping. And <laughs> by the time I get to the car to go home, I check on my phone on Twitter and Etch-A-Sketch is the number one trending topic in America. Mm. And by the time I had breakfast that day, Gingrich and Santorum were photographed holding Etch-A-Sketches at speeches. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's so great. International. I was getting calls from Europe. It was on everything from Colbert to the big three newscasts that well, night. Right. And to this day and I thought wow Mitt Romney's campaign finally caught heat for telling the truth because mm -hmm. someone didn't lie and that was the first scandal Yeah, and so after that I, I was getting offered all these deals to come and like be a news commentator guy and mm -hmm. I'm like I'm not a journalist I don't pretend to be I'll leave that to Fox but Al Gore offered me to come on his network and do a comedy talk show that never happened but I did wind up uh, taking over Keith Olbermann's old slot and I did about 35 hours of live coverage of the of the debates and the uh, yeah. the conventions with Al Gore and Elliot Spitzer and Governor Jen Granholm which was totally surreal yeah um to Al Gore is like for whatever you think of him the guy comes in the room and it's like one of the Beatles walked in you're like yeah. oh mm -hmm. my god the Oscar the Nobel Prize holy crap that's you mm -hmm. so it was uh, it was that's cool. pretty fun but it, it burned me out on politics for a little while right but you you've always been a, you've always had a good political part of your stand up though 
Yeah, well, I, I like to focus on religion a lot, and uh, yeah. and I get in a lot of trouble for that. And I maybe more social than political. Sometimes that's the way. Oh, I, I like both, but you know, I, I like to talk about whatever my agents tell me is going to hurt my career is what I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, and religion. Nothing scares these guys like like talking about religion. Yeah, and you know, it's I mean, divisive, and it's like people just don't think they they don't think about what you're saying. They just have a knee jerk reaction. To the fact that it's about religion. Well, my, my I don't do you, I don't know if you know my my whole thing, but my mom uh, was a nun uh, before she married um, mm. for 16 years. She was from the south and was a nurse and worked with lepers in Africa. And my my dad was a Franciscan brother uh, in Brooklyn. So um, I grew up with an extremely Catholic family. Yeah. My dad was very politically progressive. It was all Jesus, Gandhi, Dr. King. I thought that was the Holy Trinity until I was 20. <laughs> and uh, so, so when my mom gave me permission to start talking about her past as a nun, uh, it really opened up a floodgate in me. And like Bill Maher had me on debating Jerry Falwell and David Duke when I was like, 27 or 28 really yeah yeah it's really not fun i i i I think jerry falwell is like the worst when you're doing the talking head stuff like on msnbc he's like the worst person to get in um thing was he'll just talk over you and like he's awful yeah he's he's so rude i was i did one with him and dan dan abrams we were all just screaming yeah well (laughs) like i i'm meeting him i knew like as soon as i met him i felt sorry because he was so bloated i knew he didn't have long to live Mm. he looked like a heart attack waiting to happen Mm -hmm. and just so hateful you know, another one of these fake pro-lifers who loves the death penalty, loves war, loves torture, loves drone bombs. Was completely um, on the side of segregation in the 50s oh, yeah. campaign. Yeah. You know, Very that's much. the history yeah. of these people. Yeah, absolutely. Although they're trying to change that now. The new big thing is saying how Democrats have always been the racists because Jefferson Davis was a Democrat and the Confederates were Democrats and Lincoln was a Republican mm-hmm. uh, and there were so many Democrats uh, who opposed civil rights, so it's always been the liberals who are racist and I'm this is and you'll hear this and Martin Luther King was a Republican which he wasn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But right. his, his father was Martin Luther King senior until 1960 but this is the big thing I get all the time now and I'm like oh well that's why all the liberals are the ones you know fighting for gay equality I'm uh, fighting against gay equality and defending yeah. the confederate flag yeah. right douchebag yeah but um with, with the religion thing you know I, I just realized at a very young age there's never been a more radical liberal freak than Jesus yeah totally totally and he's got nothing in common with his fan clubs with his loudest <laughs> no, fan clubs no I mean Jesus was so about love and such a hippie that's why yeah, yeah. his last meet and greet didn't go that well <laughs> <laughs> well it's kind of funny because we're, we're doing this backstage at an event that the Westboro Baptist Church has put on their website as yeah. something they're going to pick it tonight. Yes, yes. We but do you think that, they're yeah. going to come? I mean, they never show up. They never they show up. They always say that they're going to and they never come. But they're just great for promotion, really. They really are. But talk about cowards. They're, they're cowards. just Weak. horrible, horrible Well, they're worse cowards. than cowards. Yeah. They're, they're grifters. Yeah. yeah. Because they don't actually, who knows if they hate gay people this much. I mean, I see them in New York all so. the time. Mm-hmm. On, every year on the 9-11 anniversary, they're there with signs saying, thank God for 9-11, and, and, you know, because firemen protected gay people, and that makes them evil. And these guys have one goal in mind. It is to get people so furious at them at these military funerals mm-hmm. that someone punches them or someone tries to shut them down, yeah. and then they can sue on a First Amendment lawsuit grounds. Mm-hmm. Don't forget Fred Phelps is a disbarred lawyer. Isn't it? They're, they're all, they're all they're lawyers. There's so many lawyers deal. in there, and they're they wanted to sue all people. all on the grift, and they it's just so want to have their rights violated, mm-hmm. and, they, and they'll sue you. That's their whole racket. It's so gross. But I did get a letter today from those two girls who left the family a year ago mm-hmm. and wrote to wish us really good luck on tonight's show, and they oh, were very nice. glad we were doing it. I think they have they have good poster design. They do. I like the ah. I like the stuff that they've you know created for us. You know the posters that they said that they were going to use. Just think if did they, you see? I like that poster a lot because you yeah. are you are are you a sin whore? No, you're, um, what are you? Uh, yes. some sort no, of you're a, dyke sin. That's a dyke sin. Dyke sin. But I'm and, I'm fag pimp. And you have serial <laughs> s- husbands. Yeah. And um, <laughs> as opposed to all at once, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm supposed to, you know, really have some sort of comeuppance. Mine, mine includes some kind of, um, you know, Judgment Day thing. Yes, um, but fag pimp, I, I, I really, uh, I don't. I, I beat you on that one. Man. I know that's that's really Dykeson great. is pretty cool, but it's only really Dykeson if you're doing it right. Yeah. And uh, but but fag pimp, I was like, well, am I am I a pimp of fags or I am just a pimp who happens to be. Yes. Um, yeah, I must a, ask Fred Phelps for clarification on that. Listen, there needs to be more clarity within this organization. <laughs> yes. I, I know. Normally their messaging is so acute. I'm kind of confused by this. <laughs> God really hates bad messages. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I'm a big fan of talking about how you can't ever use the Bible to justify any kind of LBGT discrimination, because there's nothing in the Bible you can use uh-huh. no. to justify homophobia. You're allowed to... The, the Constitution, yes, you can be a homophobe in America. You're allowed. You have the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't have the freedom to be a homophobe in Christianity, because no. I've read all the passages they use, and none of them have anything to do with consensual relationships between same-sex adults. Yeah. None of them. And it's so fun arguing this with these fake with these chinos these christians in name only and (laughs) some chinos are white some are brown most are beige they're wrinkled and irregular but they don't know a damn thing about what's in the bible jesus talked about gay people exactly much as he talked about fucking monster trucks and turducken (laughs) he didn't bring it up (laughs) yes yes chicken will not lay inside of turkey (laughs) yeah exactly that's a real abomination but if you follow the Leviticus thing, I mean, then everyone has to die. And I talk about this in my act a lot, but you got to kill everybody, according to the book of Leviticus. you got to kill people who work on Saturday. Fuck you, NASCAR. You're gone. You know, you got to kill children who are gluttons or drunks. Fuck you, Amanda Bynes. We're gonna, you know, I mean, Bush twins, you're dead. And even adultery, which according to Old Testament law includes divorce and remarriage. Mm-hmm. So that right. means if you believe the part of the Bible that says being gay is a sin, you owe it to God to kill Rush Limbaugh three times, mm-hmm. which you should not do. No. But there's nothing against women with women in the entire Bible. No. But there is uh, something against shellfish. So maybe it's similar. That's right. That that shrimp cocktail, Reverend Phelps, is every bit as unholy as George <laughs> Michael Knight at the Ramrod Bathhouse. Same thing. <laughs> so they should have signs outside Bubba Gump. Uh-huh. <laughs> God hates shrimp. <laughs> But, you know, it's like it's like every religion, everyone of every religion picks and chooses the parts of their holy books they want to follow, right? Yeah. Everyone does. It's just some people do it to justify kindness and compassion and love. Mm-hmm. Others do it to justify being a dick. And the ones who do it to justify being a dick are the ones who are going to get on TV. Yeah. Which yeah. is why when it comes to faith, all you see on TV are, are atheists who tend to be very cool. And then fundamentalists, Christians and Muslims who are either bombing people or screaming at women outside clinics. Yeah. You never see right. cool people of faith who are trying to make a difference. You just see douchebags. Because yeah. they're out there. There are really, there are like, like I'm not a religious person. It's never been in my life. But I know that there are people out there who are great representatives of it and they really yeah. do well. But it just seems like all the, yeah, exactly. The, everyone on TV is out for money, power, some kind of, there's something that they want, you know, mm-hmm. and, or, and the, all these evangelists and all these people that, that they're using something as an agenda, and all the evangelists mostly were about money mm-hmm. and and full well, yeah. What a fucking horrible. But him, when he and Robertson and and all those people were sitting around and they would just talk about why nine eleven happened or why this yeah. hurricane happened and all this other bullshit, and you just yeah. go, just what fucking horrible, uncompassionate, evil, cruel, That's disgusting. Nasty but they're they on compound the, the disaster. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's money. It's all money. It's well, like, I actually think that like the amount of you know. Bible Belt illiteracy, teen pregnancy rates, uh, tornadoes, and the meth plague are God's punishment for Pat Robertson. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and you know, these guys are just looking to get paid. It's nothing new. Exactly. And you know, look, Jesus, whether you're atheist or believer, Jesus warns you in Matthew 6, 5, don't trust the guys praying on the street corner. They want to be seen. They're fakes. Don't listen to them. Yeah. So it's the Philistines. It's exactly. the Philistines. It's like they're making, they're the money changers out, outside yeah. of the temples. And the Pharisees. The temples and, yeah. The they're conservative Pharisees. religious bosses who, if Jesus came back, well, you wouldn't be able to hear Jesus if he came back because his message would be drowned out by all those Christians calling him a socialist. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And then he'd be a brown skinned socialist who spoke no English and they'd ship his ass off to Juarez. <laughs> he'd, he'd be renditioned somewhere. Where are your papers, right? Jesus? <laughs> I don't care who your father is. Put some shoes on. <laughs> Do you do you get trouble when you're on stage talking about religion? All the time. It's outstanding. Yeah. It's almost it's almost worse than politics to oh, talk yeah. about that because people really get really shitty about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they don't they don't want to listen to what you're saying either. They don't want to ever listen to the argument or whatever. And what happens to the open mind in comedy? When you could, you know, you could go up and maybe talk about things that people didn't agree with necessarily, but they'd sit there and go, Okay, I have a different viewpoint, but I at least I, I see that it's funny. But you all know, if people, you make it funny, you can get away with that. Yeah. I mean, but I feel yeah. like now there are some crowds, well, maybe it's just comedy clubs where it's really not about the art form. It's about get them in and get them drunk. Yes. Comedy clubs, you can't even talk about anything of substance. Because if you do even start that, people don't listen to the, to the end. They just hear the bit that they don't like. 
and they shut. And then there's a town hall mentality. If you have the word yeah. motherfucker enough, you can get through that. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, yeah. <laughs> is that the bridge? If you're talking about getting... Old Testament and hypocrisy, just say motherfucker a lot. You can, you can get through. That's the lube. Motherfucker okay. is the lube that will get you through the to political material. But I but think right. like people really shut off. Like I, um, in a in a different z- different sort of things, I could try to make uh, statements about abortion in the show that I'm doing now. And it's very hard, even with a liberal audience. People don't want to hear about it. Nope. They don't want to talk about it, and they want, don't nope. want to know. Didn't that happen in San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. Didn't, yeah. didn't a bunch of guys walk out? Yeah, people get really um, freaked out when you go into abortion. And um, I think even people who are for the women's right to choose, they don't want to know the details. They don't want to know yep. about what it how the as my argument is that abortions are really physically um way too hard and that there's an easier way that you can get um you can kill you can kill a baby you can get uh, menstrual extraction and i'm trying to get everybody into menstrual extractions because you don't have to do any of those crazy like dnc like weird stuff like it really is a painful operation mm-hmm. so you can bypass all of that and not go for that but it's menstrual extraction is not legal in most states mm. so it's a very difficult procedure um to get through to people because it's like this is a really easy way out you can get an easy way to terminate your pregnancy and you don't have to go through all this physical pain and there's all the stigma about abortion too mm-hmm. so but people don't want to hear say. about it well, yeah, well, I mean, but I, that's why, you know, Billy Wilder said, if you're going to tell people the truth, make it funny or they'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when it comes to abortion, I mean, I don't talk about it too much in my act, but I love debating it with these mm-hmm. Christians. Because if you read the Bible, God is the least pro-life character in the entire book. Oh, right, yeah. If you believe Noah's Ark <laughs> literally happened, then you believe God killed every pregnant woman and fetus by drowning and in one mm-hmm. fell swoop. Yeah. There's nothing in the Bible against abortion. In the book of Numbers, God gives Moses gruesomely detailed instructions on how to abort a fetus if someone's wife has been unfaithful and is pregnant Mm -hmm. by another man. Book of Numbers, kids. Check that shit out. Look it up. I didn't write it. And, you know, I always say we don't have an abortion problem in this country. We we have an unwanted pregnancy problem with an abortion symptom. And you want to get rid of all these abortions, you don't want to have so many, then get the right and the left together and say, how are we going to stop the unwanted pregnancies? Birth control, something else the Bible never comes out against. Mm -hmm. Because these right-wingers, I say all the time, you know, no one ever, none of these journalists ever ask the right-wingers the right questions about abortion, which is, you want a repeal of Roe versus Wade, right? Right. And here's the question I would ask Mitt Romney, Chris Christie, every one of them. You've repealed Roe versus Wade, and abortion is now illegal, right? Let's say a woman is raped and becomes pregnant. And she terminates it with her doctor because women are still going to do it. Abortion will not go away. Just legal safe abortion will go away. Never forget, these anti-choice people, they're not fighting for no abortion. They're fighting for an end to legal safe abortion. It's always going to go on. So I always ask everyone the same question. Who deserves the longest jail jail term? The rapist, the woman, or the doctor in order? Mm. And make them answer the question. And you'll find most politicians are complete chicken shit when it comes to that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The pro-lifers want more Kermit Gosnells because abortion will be illegal and unsafe and unregulated. And you'll see these clinics where poor women will go and it'll be a slaughterhouse and a monster and rich women will go to their doctors and Mm -hmm. it'll be just like it always was. So ironically, you know, the pro-choice people, and I hate both those terms, but the pro-choice people are the ones who are actually fighting for a lower abortion rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and abortions went down every year under Clinton, went up every year under Bush. Um, so there's that. Yeah, speaking of funny shit, it's really interesting. It's but horrifying to do it in, in clubs, though, because you're right. I know it's people hard. People can't handle it. People can't mm-hmm. handle it, and ultimately, people just don't want to give women the right to choose. That's the, that's the thing. It's like that. It's not really about women's rights. It's about where where can we argue over women's bodies? You know, mm-hmm. this is like a fight over women's rights, but it doesn't in- include women's rights. It's very. It's very, it's terrible. But it's hard to convince folks of that. You know, mm-hmm. anyone who of good faith who says, no, I think a fetus is a living thing and we shouldn't kill it, I'll respect you on that. Great. And if you want to fight for that, then go ahead and fight for it. But don't play dumb that it's religious. Mm-mm. Don't play dumb that Jesus ever said a damn thing about it. Right. And don't play dumb that you respect women because you right. don't. No. You know, no one's pro abortion. We're anti-men making that choice for a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Right. It's 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 totally out of your hands. Mm-hmm. And the, the the thing is too, and and is so many 
Republican or conservative men, I, I know that a lot of them have paid for abortions when Absolutely. they were younger, growing up. It's all <laughs> such bullshit. But it's the yeah. ultimate racket. I grew up in Texas. I, there's fucking yep. so many of them that did. But it's the ultimate racket because the GOP will never let abortion become illegal. If abortion becomes illegal, how are they going to keep raising funds? Mm-hmm. Gay marriage and Mexicans? That's yeah. all they've yeah. got left. <laughs> abortion is a cash cow and for both parties. To be fair, the Democrats have for years been raking in cash by saying they're going to take your abortion rights away in five minutes if you don't send a check now. Yeah. It's been a big cash cow for a long, long time. Yeah. But the Republican Party is full of crap. They will never let abortion become illegal. Hmm. Never. Did- and when they pass these laws, Scott Walker, you know, about the, having to have all the clinics be uh, hospital ad- 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 admittable, they knew that would never stand. Yeah. They just want to be able to say they passed the bill and when the courts inevitably overturn it, right. their followers aren't going to know that. They're just going to say, I signed the toughest abortion bill in this state's history, vote for me. And it works. And the, there are no greater suckers in our entire society than anti-abortion folks who keep voting Republican. Hmm. Hmm. What about in Texas? It's pretty strict down there, the laws that oh, they just, yeah. but they keep biting that. They keep, they keep overturning it, but then somebody else... Yep. It's back and forth. And you'll see more and more of these illegal abortion clinics popping up mm-hmm. to help girls out. And they won't be regulated and they yeah. won't be safe. And they're not going to do anything about it until a white woman dies. Right. And mm-hmm. then they'll talk about it. Yeah. But until a white woman dies in one of these places, you won't hear a thing. Mm. That's Texas. Yeah. And again, got nothing to do with Christianity. Right. Mm. No, it, it, in, it in the, to try to argue it, it pushes it into like a fake ideological argument. You know, you're, you're there. It's like a bait and switch. It's not even about that. It's not even about abortion anymore. It just it just becomes about something that's like gonna try, like gonna gonna get people to think this way or not. You know, it's so it's so fake and phony. I agree. I'm more about women's rights. Me too. But seriously, menstrual extraction is really good. You I'll could, have to try it sometime. You could really, you you could really do it without any kind of drugs, which is another thing. It keeps pharmaceuticals out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it keeps um, it keeps women in control. Of, they used to do it in um, like uh, women would get together and they would do it in their homes because they wanted some control over their bodies. So they would have these feminist groups who would do um, menstrual extractions for each other. And it was this very powerful thing. And you can't find any of that information anymore on the internet of how to do it on, on your own. Wow. Oh, right. You can't find any of this old sort of stuff that you could actually have control over. You don't, you don't have any of that anywhere. I think there's one menstrual extraction machine in um, the Museum of Menstruation, which I think closed. So <laughs> that was the only evidence of it. But I know about it from like feminist stuff for years. But it's something that we have the power to control, but we can't learn about it because it's all being used for a political gain. What a shock. Yeah. Well, it's worth reminding all these pro-lifers, Jesus never mentioned abortion, was pretty specific about not killing the sinner. There's no bigger anti-death penalty guy in history right. than Jesus. So, you know, he, he didn't exactly say, forgive us our trespasses as we lethally inject those who trespass against us. Mm. So mm-hmm. I like to call these people pro-some life. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Yes, yeah, sometimes pro-some life. They're sometimey. They never met a war they didn't love. No. Exactly. What um, what songs did you get George Harrison to sing? <laughs> we have to switch back to we have to ease out of this in a right nice. okay as the ladies move away from the speakers um, uh, four songs and it was a one was a uh, was a Vedic chant Prabhuji that he sang with Ravi Shankar on sitar which was amazing to sit next to those two guys and Ravi's wife Sukanya. Um, he had just George had just produced Ravi's album Chants of India so they did one traditional Vedic chant and then. George sang the only time he ever sang it live. He sang All Things Must Pass, mm. um, which was incredible. I was sitting next to him. Wow. And then he sang a Wilbury song that only Dylan had sung from the second Wilbury's yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Called If You Belong to Me. Yes. And George was like, everybody sing along. And I started singing, and then I realized, oh, no one else knows the words. <laughs> and I'm wearing a fucking mic. Oh, no, I just ruined a bootleg. So if you hear the bootleg of it, you'll hear me singing caterwauling off key for the first verse. Uh, but that song was called If You Belong to Me. And then he sang uh, an unreleased song called Any Road that wound up being the uh, the first track off the album they released after he died. And it's right. Like, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Yeah, my knee appears in the official video for that song. Oh, so, that's great. So yeah, so it was, it was uh, nice to be able... I, I've been privy to lots of little micro pieces of history. And uh, and that was a, it was a lovely... It's lovely to be that footnote. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So he was... And he had the most beautiful smile of anyone I ever met. And uh, 
And it really, he helped my uh, evolution, both spiritually and as a man, in terms of just growing up a bit. Uh, It was a very good experience for me. Did you ever interview Morrissey? I never did, and I always wanted to. I was hosting this show for Current last year, and we tried to get Morrissey so hard. We got Johnny Rotten. But, uh, but oh, that's that? great! Oh, that's he's great. A riot. He's he's amazing. He's, he's really yeah. smart, but he also likes to play the antagonistic character. Yeah, well, I had, I had hung out. No, with I don't him. think he, he plays it either. But, but I mean, he's got to switch into that mode, yeah. though. But well, he's really great. He's a great interview when he likes the person he's talking to. And you know, he turns that on for commercial effect. I mean, mm-hmm. he did those I, butter commercials in the UK to finance the PIL album that came out last yeah. year. Yeah, you know, yeah. like everyone gave him all this shit for doing butter commercials, but he did it to get the money to self-produce the new yeah. PIL record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he came in, and I had met him before in L.A. No, I met him in New York, and we had partied a bit years ago, and he came to do this show I was doing, and uh, it was the morning after the Joe Biden-Paul uh, Ryan debate for vice president last year, and he, that's all he wanted to talk about because he oh. loved how working class Joe Biden was. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's the best, and he actually just publicly thanked Mick Jagger for paying Sid Vicious's legal team uh, bills for the murder case. So he's a he's a wow. cool guy and he's a complicated guy and he's on the hustle, man. He was going out to tour PIL and had yeah. no label support and he was just coming by current TV to get the word out and doing anything he could to... Uh, That's great. To, you know, he's he's in his late 50s. He's 57 or 58 now. I, and I love those punk he still guys like that really because hard. they really have that... I don't know if you're into The Clash, but Joe Strummer, who was a, a fucking amazing bloke. You Who's not that, into The Clash? The, the documentary um, uh, that, that Dick wrote... wrote the, Dick future Dick Rude, yeah. the Future is Unwritten? No, no, the other one, Let's Rock Again. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that. Where um, Dick Rude followed him around for his tour in like 99, 2000. And Joe is with his new band, the Mescaleros, and he's basically out in Atlantic City handing out flyers for his show yeah. that night. Yeah. And then he goes by a radio station, and he's just like, let's just, you know, because nobody, nobody gets on radio anymore. Nobody gets to plug anything on radio mm-hmm. anymore. And he's, he's, he's at the intercom, and he's like, yeah, I'm Joe Strummer. He used to be in The Clash. Mm-hmm. Want to come? By? And he goes in, and they eventually let him in to talk. But just that hustle of like, I'm fucking going to take it to the people. Yeah, I'm gonna take it myself to the people. That's what I love. There's and, like five yeah. or six people that don't have to hustle like that anymore, and that's it. I mean, yeah. you can be an established artist, and you guys know this as performers. Mm-hmm. I mean, people people think you're a gazillionaire, and and it's like no, the artists are like the most of the one. Bob Dylan is what seventy two. He does a hundred shows a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, is, is it how how enjoyable is it for you when the guys veer off into rock geekery? I like it. Well, I'm Ma- quite, 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 she's well, one of the cool, few. Yeah. She loves rock and roll. She I loves do. music. Oh, I know. Well, all music I as well. You yeah, know. I love rock and roll, and I love Bob Dylan, and I love. I mean, I love all those guys. You know, they're all great. So yeah. I understand. I went on. Um, the show uh, in Australia that Johnny Rotten had just done, and um, he had a big fight with uh, one of the women out there because he told her to shut up. He's like, women don't talk over a man. <laughs> women, look, missus. Look, missus. It's like the thing is, if you have John Rotten or John Lydon on your show and he acts like a dick, guess what? That's, that's what you sort of for. What he, that's why he's there. Please, that's, he'll be 80 in Vegas and we'll be like, hey, Johnny, could you, could you spit on my wife, please? You, you, <laughs> you spit on us back in the late 70s in Rhode Island. It would mean, could you spit out your gum in my wife's hair? It would mean, so, for the old times, Johnny, it would mean so much to us. Could you, could you call my wife a feckin' kint, please? It would, it would just it would make a day, Johnny. <laughs> but you went on the next week. And I had, on, I had on a Sex Pistols t-shirt and they were all like, oh my God, you knew about it. <laughs> it's like... Who? But it was perfect what? television. It was perfect it was exactly what he would do. You yeah. use that moment oh, to go yeah. on there in a Sex Pistols shirt. Yeah, yeah. Just to be in it, to know that they that they had that experience and to acknowledge it. It's great. You've got to, you've got to hustle it like where you know like what's happening. So I love, I love rock and roll. I love like everybody talking about it. But Dick Rude's movie is cool. I'll see. He's it. really cool. Yeah, it's called I, I, Let's listen, Rock I, Again, and it's really great. I really believe that if if Joe had lived, that we would have seen that reunion. You know, I don't think we'll ever see a Talking Heads reunion. Uh, we'll never really see a real Pink Floyd reunion at this point. But I, I I really think that reunion would have happened. Well, the great thing is, and it wasn't the full reunion, but it was. Even though they were offered millions of dollars to reform, all kinds of money, which those guys need. They mm-hmm. they didn't oh, yeah. make a lot of money in the Clash. They made okay money, but uh, they uh, 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 Joe was doing a benefit for firefighters in London, and Mick Jones just yeah. was there because he went to many shows and they they'd hung out and they were kind of cool, but he went, yeah, I'm going to go up on stage tonight. It's something. It was a month before he died, and he just 
felt like I'm going to go on stage. Right. And so their little reunion for three songs. Yeah, well, but I mean, they Pink were, Floyd has done that a couple. Waters and Gilmore will go on. They've done that, yeah. Other, but yeah. yeah, I mean, the Velvet Underground, the last time they played together, which yeah. after Sterling Morrison died, was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, last time Talking Heads ever played together was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right, right, right. But, uh, you know, it's so rare, and there's so few of those reunions that, like... I think David we'll Byrne might see. be more amenable to it. David Byrne seems so level-headed. He seems really kind of... Oh, he oh, seems but really they all just end up like being so... Really? Yeah. Unhappy and hating each other. Did you ever talk to Lou Reed? Or any connection? Yes. Yeah, many times. Yeah? Never on camera. Just, but we were neighbors. Oh, really? Oh, he, wow. He lived across the street from me in Greenwich Village with Laurie Anderson shit. for years. So, like, I used to see Lou, I mean, and the, the woman I worked on solo shows with lived in his building. So, I used to ride the elevator with Lou all the time. And we would talk about Chicago pizza versus New York pizza. I, I introduced my girlfriend to him on the street one night in, in Washington Square Park at, like, 10 o'clock at night. We just ran into each other. He was with Laurie Anderson. I, you would see Lou, like, peeking into the window at the duplex to watch people belt out show tunes. I once stood with him outside a church on Carmine Street listening to a doo-wop group. I mean, one of the great things about my neighborhood was that you'd always see Lou Reed and you'd always see Sam Shepard uh, uh -huh. walking oh, around. Oh, that's a good and, one. Uh, and, you know, and Lou was a guy who was really approachable. And I got to, I'm proud to say, I got to see him at the Supper Club, the Beacon Theater, Carnegie Hall, Madison Square Garden, and Giant Stadium. So all the all my favorite New York venues, I got to see Lou perform in. Wow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's and really he great. Was like, I never got to interview him. And the last week my show was on the air, I was really pushing it. Like he, he was sick, but he had just done some music event and was interviewed on camera for it. And, and we were pushing his people. And I, I, I wrote a long letter to his management saying, I want Lou Reed to be my final guest. And it's the last hour of, of, of original programming on current TV, which was a great independent experiment. Yeah. And uh, until they sold it off to Al Jazeera. And I wanted Lou to be my final guest. And finally, he just... He wasn't feeling up to it, and yeah. clearly that was true. But uh, we had a good sh last show anyway. But um, we had Louis Black and uh, and Roseanne on. Um, no, that's good. Anyway, a different Lou, a different Lou, but yeah, still, and a different, yeah, different temperament. Oh, yeah, but, uh, well, <laughs> somewhat, yeah. But but that's I always think Lou just seemed like I think maybe his public persona yeah. it seemed kind of really gruff, but it sounds like. Um, well, yeah. He was a really cool bloke if you kind of knew him. I think he's both. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the last great thing he did creatively, I think, and if you haven't read it, he wrote a review this summer of Kanye West's Yeezus album. Oh, really? Oh, really? Can't recommend it highly enough. Oh, yeah. I got to read it. I mean, he, he tears it apart and builds it up at the same time. Oh, wow. You know, he rips apart the lyrics, but he totally is dazzled by the production value and the ambition of it all. And in many ways, it was Lou's last great... Uh, ironically, he hated critics so much, but his last great gift to us was uh, was a piece of, of hip-hop criticism. Wow. That's weird that he would pay so much attention to that. I think it's the the good one is My Dark Twisted Fantasy. Is that... Yeah. That's yeah. the really good Kanye it's record. It's a much better record. It's a really good record. I mean, it's an unbelievably great record, and Nicki Minaj is on it, and... um. Chris Rock is on it, mm -hmm. and all these weird. Uh, Rick Ross is on it, and uh, Bon Iver did yeah, a lot of the right. um, the chordal samples. So that's chordally like a Bon Iver record, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a much very, better record. It's a very, it's it's a really actually amazing record. Like I, I listen to it all the time. I'm not really a fan, um, but there's every once in a while I'll go. You know, Kanye's kind of all right. Yeah, I mean, you could be a genius and a jackass at the same time. Yeah. But, but check out the Lou review. I mean, he just, I he was funny. so funny. Like, I, I, was, I mentioned I was riding the elevator with him once, and he was with a couple friends, and they were all just talking about Chicago pizza versus New York pizza. And I made some joke about Pizzeria Uno, and Lou turned to me, and he says, he says, they call that Chicago pizza. That's not Chicago pizza. Those guys should be arrested for fraud. <laughs> <laughs> and he just brought out the diphthong and fraud. Fraud. Like three consonants out of it. And uh, so, like, fraud. I'm going to remember all the great music. And, and one of the things that's been forgotten. You should read his Yelp reviews. <laughs> <laughs> they call that a pet hospital. That's not a pet hospital. Uh, but his the, the, the last live albums of his. Career are really really great, you know, like like the Velvet Underground reunion tour in '93. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it. I think it's a great two record set. And then Animal Serenade is another two record live set. And Perfect Night Live in London was his acoustic tour he did in the late '90s. Oh wow! He did such great music at the in the last ten years of his life, and none of it got talked about in all mm. these flowery obituaries. So. I was a big fan of like seeing Lou get old, and I, I'm I'm really sad that like I'm not going to get to see him live again. Yeah. He did a great thing on that Elvis Costello show, which was really great too. 
but he oh, showed yeah. the secret chords in um, I think it's Sweet Jane and also um, I'm yeah. Waiting for the Man because mm-hmm. there's secret chords in there because you can never exactly as a guitarist you can never exactly figure it out it's all kind of hidden with the piano and then uh, he said well this is the chord that everybody's missing and he showed everyone so it's good I like Elvis Costello too I do too I when I met him I shook him and screamed in his face and um, just terrible <laughs> I was terrible did you guys happen to see uh, the, this this will be my last Lou Reed uh, trivia to bore your audience with but did you happen to see the uh, tribute at Neil Young's Bridge concert yes right after Lou died yes and, and it was no. Jim, ja- Jim James oh our friend with uh, yes from My Morning Jacket with Neil Young and then yep. backup vocals were like Elvis and Jenny Lewis oh mm-hmm. great and they sang Sweet Nothing and it's a 10 minute long version yeah and it's it, I think it's better than the Black Crows version it's sublime oh, that's cool it's really worth that's checking cool out. we gotta see that we, we love Jim James. So we've covered classic rock, abortion, gay stuff, religion. Mitt Romney. <laughs> Mitt Romney. The Bible. The, <laughs> the Bible. Bible. Yes. Seafood. All the, all the sexy topics. Um, yes, yes. This, but that's, a, that's it. It's a great listen. It's well, good. This is why you guys do a great show, because you allow ADHD to flourish. <laughs> <laughs> Tangentially yours. We're living in the problem. We, we need to live in the solution which mm. is finding out where we can tweet you. Where can we tweet you? You can tweet me at John Fugelsang, which is hard to spell. It's uh, John and then F-U-G-E-L-S-A-N-G. And then um, where can people keep up with your tour um, with Stephanie Miller and out on the road? You guys are going to go out on the road oh, again. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, sexy we, we did the Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour. We, we launched it in, in Madison, Wisconsin to raise money to fight Scott Walker. And it wound up like being really successful our album went to number one. It was me and Stephanie, and then Hal Sparks and Aisha Tyler would alternate. Yeah. Uh, Lily Tomlin has come on stage at three of our shows. Oh, man. Hey. Rob Reiner's come out at four of our shows. Uh, Congressman Alan Grayson's come out on some of our... Like, we get great oh, guests great. on stage. I'm trying to talk this one here into doing a date I'll with do us it. sometime. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anytime. Oh, man. I'll do it. That'd be fun. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell We should do Lawrence, Kansas. I would. I have a, fa- a, f- a real fondness for Lawrence, Kansas. Ever since the day after, I've uh, been oh, very. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I like Burroughs, and I like I like the place, and there's a great theater. We should do a show there. So I've been there for a while, so we should go there. I'm thinking Chicago, but I'll I'll listen to you on that one. Okay. I'd Chicago's l- I just would great love too. to do a show. Do a Chicago. weekend. Do a weekend. Well, look, I'm only doing this because I want to open for you guys sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could do Lawrence, Kansas, and then Chicago, and then go by Wilco's Loft. You know why the yeah. Traveling Wilburys never toured? Never. Well, how could you get all of them together? Oh, they offered them a ton of money. And they all wanted to do it except George. George came. Oh. George didn't want to do it. Roy Orbison and Dylan were on board for it. And that's oh, that's wow. pretty. That's hard to think that George, that Bob was, but because he's he was, so persnickety. Here's the thing, and I asked George this. I'm like, don't you get off on performing live? Don't you get the buzz from that? He goes, no, I get the buzz from meditation and gardening. Mm. And I'm like, he but don't gardening. you? I'm like, but but don't you get that spiritual connection to the divine when you're on stage playing for an audience? He said, nope. He's like, I'm talking about meditation where every atom in your body is in bliss. Wow. And I don't get that from performing. And I was mm. like, ah. Oh. What's the, yeah. did, did he, didn't he tour with Clapton in Japan in and the 80s? it's a great album. 80s? No, in 1991, they did 17 dates. And George said he was doing it to quit smoking. But uh, it was hugely successful. It was Clapton's band. His Clapton's son had just died. And they went oh, out yeah. for, to tour Japan and did all these, George had, had not toured since the 70s. And uh, the live yeah. album is actually quite lovely and well done, and um, and it's it's really worth a listen. But uh, that was it. They, he never toured anywhere else because he just he didn't love performing. He was terrified mm. of getting shot or something. And and uh, was it, he was really freaked out after Lennon's. He death, was really freaked right? out. And hey, you know what? He was right because he had yeah. all the best security in the world at his place, and, and the guy still got a yeah. bag from getting through. So yeah. I love that. They, that not I don't love. I love the story of it. Because that guy stabbed him, and his defense was to yell out "Hari Krishna." It wasn't his <laughs> that's defense. What, wasn't a defense. That's all he had. Well, no, that's no, what he, he wanted to he, yell out. His wife talks about this in the Scorsese film. He had been preparing for his death his whole life. He was so focused on being in a state of bliss at the time of death that when he got stabbed, he began his mantra. Oh, okay. Mm. And he wanted to die saying his mantra. Mm. And when he finally did die, he was in a room full of Krishnas, like they were all there chanting together. But he was—he thought he was going to be preparing for death. And his wife tells a story hilariously in the Scorsese film that while he's doing his mantra, she is fighting this guy off, bashing right. a lamp over his right. head. So the moral of the story: have a tough Mexican wife if you got violent groups. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the sexy liberal tour—we uh, did this for a couple of years, and then we're going to start it up again uh, uh, next year. And 
we're, we're, we usually do about one date a month or one oh, or two a month. And yeah. we're, we're uh, going to be playing the Chicago Theater in April and uh, a whole That's bunch great. of great gigs. So. Well, we'll, 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 we'll join you. Rock on. That'll be great. Um, thank you so much, John. Hey, I'm so excited. I finally got to be on the only comedy classic rock podcast that matters. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And um, if you have any comedy classic rock questions, you can tweet them at me, at Margaret Cho. Where can they tweet you, Jim? At Jimmy Shelter. And you can tweet both of us at Monsters of Talk. Um, we are every Monday on SoundCloud.com, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Oh, we have guests. We have guests. We're trying to get um, Klaus Foreman. Talk about... No way. Talk about... History that would be great. We're he, we're going to Berlin soon, and we'll be right outside of Munich. So hopefully we can get him. That's a that guy's a real legend, and I yeah. saw him play live. Oh yeah, at the concert for George Harrison. Oh, uh, oh. when he died, you you, you at that concert? I went there. I was. It's funny because I was doing this show Providence for NBC at the time, mm-hmm. and it was the, they, we were shooting the finale, and I was playing the best man at the big wedding for the final episode, and uh, I was like the sleazy New York lawyer. My hair was red. It was gross. But mm-hmm. uh, that we had the Thanksgiving weekend off, and without telling anyone. I left the country on the weekend, flew to London on a red eye. Wow. They had turkey in the hotel for Americans, which was very courteous. And then we saw the show. Elvis Costello was sitting right yeah, above me. Cool. And uh and George Martin. And then flew back and was on set just in time for uh That's amazing. For the next day. But it's the highlight of my life as an audience member. And Klaus Worman played bass in that. It was Tom Petty and Billy Preston, Paul McCartney, Ringo, oh, Monty yeah. Python. That's the uh, other Clapton, thing. Ravi Shankar. Great, great show. And uh and uh Klaus Worman played bass. So cool. And he did the cover for Revolver. Yeah. yeah. That's why if Klaus is listening, if anybody knows Klaus, we want to chat. We want to chat. But and the Pythons too. That's the other that's the other George had so much in so many different directions. Yeah. Oh, the handmade that, that, films that he, and that he yeah. produced, you know, gave them the money for Life of Brian. And he was a big Python f- fan. Huge. Yeah. It was all the Pythons except Cleese. Uh, Tom Hanks stood in for Cleese. And, and in the in the lumberjack the lumberjack song, song. Right, yes. and like I'm never going to get to see the Pythons live, so that was you know really neat. I I, w- I once did a show in Hollywood, and and uh, Neilan came, and he he mm-hmm. uh, my my girlfriend came back before the show and said, yeah, one of the Pythons is in the front. I'm like, who? She goes, Kevin Neilan brought him. I'm like, who? She goes, I don't know their names. I'm like, which fucking Python? <laughs> I didn't know until I went on stage. Eric Idle sitting right. down oh. in the front. So that was like comedy Olympics. He's for the me. best one. He's like the Paul. I agree. He's like the Paul well, He's Dirk. He's Dirk. Have you ever seen the Ruddles? Of course. Yes. The Ruddles yes. is great. Dirk, yeah. Which is so amazingly the detail in the Ruddles, which is the parody movie well, of the Beatles. The detail is so oh, detail, amazing. I mean, well, George Harrison's in the movie. He's in the movie. As a journalist under yeah. a lot of makeup. But yeah, I mean, Tragical History Tour, the, the songs, mm-hmm. and the song craft is great in the Ruddles. Well, and apparently um, John loved it. Mm-hmm. And John's comment was because there's a song "Cheese and Onions," which yes. actually ended up on bootlegs mm-hmm. uh, of Beatles songs, like it, it, it the it parody song. One. John mm-hmm. said the movie's great, but you're going to have trouble with Paul on that one. And I think <laughs> I think Paul might have sued him on that. We're oh. sitting in this shower for peace. <laughs> <laughs> it's so brilliant. It's a great film, yeah. And and uh, and Eric Idle has done so much for musical theater. Yes, I mean with with uh, Spamalot, mm-hmm. and then he turned uh, Life of Brian into an oratorio. He's not the Messiah. Not the Messiah. He's just a naughty boy. <laughs> yes, very naughty boy. Yeah, he's a real he's a real hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah brilliant. Well, thank you so much, hey, John. Thanks for having me. I'll go take my tangents elsewhere. And oh, no, no, you guys. You know what you can do? What you could do is you wanted to keep. You want to keep going on and have a bonus episode while I go outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John you could keep. I'm we'll, sure we'll, that yeah. you can. Well, we'll do it. We'll do it even ahead. off testosterone mic, geek out. <laughs> All righty. Thanks, everyone. Bye, Margaret. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for, for being on your own show. Thank you, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>